Welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. You're with Sarah Wendt, and today I'm interviewing Dr. Camilla Bastian about child-focused practice in situations where there is family and domestic violence. Camilla is currently a postdoctoral research fellow and lecturer at Flinders University. She has over 20 years experience in the field of child protection and human services as a social work practitioner and academic. Camilla is a member of the Social Work Innovation Research Living Space, or SWIRLS, where she is involved in research projects that use co-design to build collaborations at the intersection of domestic and family violence and child protection. Her practice experience, engagement with the child protection and domestic violence service sector, and knowledge emerging from research projects is utilised to inform contemporary practice approaches in the complexities in working with children and families. In today's episode, we talk about what child-centred practice means in the context of domestic and family violence, including what works, as well as the barriers for being child-centred. Camilla draws on examples of her practice to share insights into being child-centred when faced with complexities of domestic and family violence. So Camilla, we're talking today about uh, domestic and family violence. And of course, this is a really complex issue um, that's getting a lot of attention at the moment. Um, however, we're also needing to give attention to children and how children experience domestic and family violence. And so we're in, really interested in hearing from you, you know, as a practitioner, how have you m- maintained a focus on children when faced with the complexities of domestic and family violence? It is a really complex issue, particularly because of the dynamics of power and coercion that exist in that family. So there are multiple areas that we need to consider. So we need to consider the safety of children um, children and their wellbeing. We need to consider the mother situation and also the relationship of the mother and child. And we also need to assess the tactics of the perpetrator and hold him um, accountable, but also visible in the process. So what informs child-centred practice is that we need to have an understanding of children's rights. Um, We need to understand their basic provisions, their right to be safe and protected, and also their right to be heard and visible in their families and communities. Um, And also we need to understand child development Mm -hmm. because we know that children need many opportunities to reach their full potential. Um, And the other important element is that children's rights and development can't occur unless it's in the context of relationships. So relationships are absolutely critical to children's ability to thrive and flourish. So being child-centred is about understanding who the child is, understanding their experiences and their development and well-being, but understanding those within the context of the family and environmental factors. And also part of that is not only understanding those areas, but it's about observations as well. So observing them as um, individuals, but also observing their interactions with their parents or people around them. So if I'm I'm working with parents, um, where many of us are, adults, um, who have children, we still need to, even though the children aren't in the room, we still need to make sure they're present in the conversation. So we might be talking about a couple or we might be talking with a mother and a father separately. Um, So what we need to do in those conversations is keep bringing them back to how that's impacting on the child. For example, if there's an argument or there's violence occurring, 
Where is the child? How are they feeling? What do you think the impact is? So we need to keep asking questions. So it brings um, and ensures that the child is central in the conversation and it also challenges them to think about what is happening for the child during those times. So in circumstances when you might interview um, a parent or parents and the children are in the room, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I um, made a point of in my practice is that I always introduce myself to the child. Yeah, okay. No matter how old they are or what they're doing, I tell them my name, I tell them who I am and where I'm from, and I always ask their name and ask them about something they might be doing or, you know, uh, to make a comment. So it's about respecting them as individuals and recognising that they're, they're, they're present in the room as well. And I always, one of the things that I always did as a practitioner is I always had some paper and pencils in my bag. So if there was a young child, I would sit with that child during an interview and just ask them to draw a picture while we're having conversations, obviously. in um, It's a non-threatening way of engaging with the child. It's a, a role modelling, but also recognising their presence. So um, the other important element is that um, interviewing children on their own. Yes. So um, it's an important part of our practice, particularly uh, in my role as a child protection practitioner, I had to do, you know, that was really um, critical. So in interviewing children, we always, um, firstly, get the permission of the parents um, where that's possible. Sometimes it wasn't. But also when wanting to speak to a child, we would always ask their permission um, because they might, you know, they might not want to talk to you. I mean, we're asking children to talk about things that are really difficult. And why should we expect them just to talk about um, difficult things? Because it's difficult for parents or adults as well. I think Um, that's a really good point um, as well, Camilla, because domestic and family violence, there is power displayed just in um, that phenomenon in and of itself. But there is also power displayed with adults, parents between the children. And then we as workers are adults that are entering that child's life and wanting to talk about this. So there are multiple layers of power sitting in and around that child. And so I think your point about practice that centres the child, thinks about the rights of the child um, and thinks about that child as an individual, the sheer basic question of asking for their consent, that would it be okay if I talk to you, goes some way maybe to addressing some of that power that's sitting in the room. Yeah, mm. and, and recognising that there are other ways of interacting with yes. them. Yeah. Um, and children know that if they speak up, that yes. there will be consequences, mm. um, consequences for them, yes. um, possibly, but also for their mother, yes. um, who in a, in a lot of situations, especially older children, that they do feel a sense of responsibility to protect them as yeah. well. So it, sometimes we ask a lot of children, so we need to be really mindful um, so that's a that's actually a really good point. So Camilla, um, there, it is one thing to ask for permission to speak to children, but how have you created environments where they can safely do that with you, knowing that sometimes there could be consequences and children will know the consequences if they start to talk about the violence and abuse for mum or for yeah. themselves. So do you have thoughts about how um, in being child-centred when exploring the complexities of domestic and family violence, how do we create that safe space for children to be yeah. able to do that? So um, one of the things that I um, always did is um, I told, the, you know, uh, explained to them what my role was, okay. um, that there was an absolute confidentiality. Mm-hmm. So we would have a conversation and, you know, once we develop a relationship and they 
um, would speak to me. What I always ask them at the end is that, um, well, I thank them yeah. for sharing the information, mm -hmm. but I also ask them what is it they want me to tell their parents about the, the conversation. Yeah. So um, I would never say to a parent, you know, your son said this or your son said that, but I would seek the permission from the child about what is safe for me to tell your parents. Mm -hmm. Because some information um, would place them at risk yeah. if, um, if the parents knew what, um, what was being disclosed. So it's about them trusting me mm -hmm. with that information and making sure that I'm not putting them in a precarious situation um, so that they can't go home and they don't feel safe or they're very scared um, to have to be with their parents again because of what they've said to me. And also in, in understanding how they're feeling or their experiences in living in that context, it's about um, what's happening for them. Yes. So really finding out when violence actually occurs, where they are and what they're feeling and really trying to get a real a real sense of what's occurring for them at yes. that particular time. Yeah, from their yeah, perspective. From their perspective. Because mm. mm. I think uh, if we use a rights-based approach, we are, we're asking them to participate in this narrative. Yes. Um, we're asking them to also give their opinions and views about what needs to happen yes. so that you know, mum's safe, they're safe, and that dad's violence can stop. So they have quite clear views, and I think children sometimes um, are more insightful um, than adults because they don't have the life experience that um, adults have, so their views are much more, not simplistic, but they're much more um, foundational, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's yeah. a good word, foundational. Yeah. And yeah. I think, um, like you said, the rights-based kind of lens uh, then values what yep. children have to say. And so yep. um, valuing their interpretation, valuing their experience, yep. valuing their story around what's happening and giving that presence um, in the complexities of domestic and family violence is a, is a good example of how a rights-based approach can be put into practice. Yep. So Camilla, we've been talking, um, you've given us some wonderful practice examples of being child-centred and the work that you've done directly with children in the yep. context of domestic and family violence. But also before, you mentioned um, that you can be child-centred even when you're engaging with and having conversations with parents. Yep. And so um, from your point of view being a practitioner, working at the interface of child protection and complexities of domestic and family violence, what do you think you need to know to have child-centred conversations with parents when we're dealing with domestic and family violence? Well, I think one of the complexities of domestic and family violence that we need to really acknowledge is that um, children sustain injuries that aren't visible. Yes. I think in many other, uh, some situations when um, children are injured physically, or they experience sexual abuse, they're injuries that are visible. And um, I think if I'm going to talk like a child protection practitioner, they're forensically, you can collect evidence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what um, what is difficult about domestic and family violence is that injuries are sustained at a social, emotional, and cognitive developmental level, which it's not obvious to some people that that's what's occurring for them. So we need to have a really good understanding of child development. Yes. 
and a really good understanding of all the elements of child development around social development, emotional development, cognitive development and also physical development. Um, So that's really core and I think that's one area um, and we'll talk a little bit more about the challenges later but it's one area that I think social workers haven't been uh, schooled in if you like or or, uh, integrated into our training and it has come through in some reviews that have been done internationally. So um, with this knowledge it's important to Um, when talking to parents is using that knowledge then to ask those questions. But of course, every child's development or the impact for children is going to be quite different depending on their age, um, their vulnerability, and also the severity of the violence and the pattern of violence. So they're all the things that we need to consider. So one of the most important issues I think that need to be assessed is the quality of the parent-child relationship in the first instance. So we know that development occurs within the context of relationships. So if a child has a very good relationship with a parent, um, you usually find, particularly if there's been quite strong attachment, you'll find that developmentally they're more resilient in some ways. But with violence, we know that um, the tactics used by perpetrators can undermine that relationship. But in assessing that relationship, asking the questions of the mother about the impact or the development of the child, you can get a sense of her connectedness to that child. Um, And also in the connectedness, um, women who are most connected to their children, you will see that they've put in protective strategies to minimise as much as possible the violence for the, for the or the experience of violence. But also you need to assess the quality of parenting between the father and the child yes. as well. Because um, we need to think, you know, they're both parents. Um, so it's not just about focusing on the mother, but it's also focusing on the father. Um, in many situations, uh, you find that there's a minimisation of the impact um, and not recognising the violence and the impact on the children. Many children uh, worry about their mothers. I think um, that's something that they take that on and it is an unreasonable burden for children to have. And children in many situations don't have the social or the cognitive um, abilities to deal with that burden. So what happens is that children will exhibit their distress in an overt way. So they might be labelled as behaviourally difficult, Mm -hmm. They might be labelled as naughty or um, they could be aggressive to other children. Or the other extreme is they could be socially, so socially isolated and withdrawn. And I think when children behave in that way, what we need to be um, doing is we need to be asking, we need to be very curious about that behaviour. And we need to be asking questions about how do parents understand that behaviour and what they think might be contributing and and how how might it change for the child. Mm. So it's really taking the whole picture but really focusing on what's happening for that child and and how they're exhibiting 
that um, injury, if you like. Mm. So it is an injury, but it's an emotional injury. Yeah. So Camilla, you also mentioned before, and I would like to ask you some more questions around this, is that having child-centred conversations with parents, you mentioned the importance of having a conversation with the mother, yep. but also the father. Yep. And we are now learning in the sector that when you're navigating uh, child safety in the complexities of domestic and family violence, trying to have a conversation with mum about that, practitioners often fear that they might be blaming yep. mum. So how, how do you open up conversations about the child's safety and yep. engaging her to think about that with you and balancing that fine line between those discourses that often can unintentionally invite mm. us to start saying what her roles and responsibilities are and we could then slip into what she's not doing or what she's doing and that can move us down into blame. Or what she needs to do. Yeah, so yeah. what is that tension like Camilla, have yep. you experienced that? And how can we balance those tensions of safety, but not blaming mum? Um, I think they're, they're really important conversations. And I think we need to always remember that um, child safety is paramount. Yes. But in, in domestic and family violence, it's very difficult to separate the safety of the child and the mother. Okay. So one of the things that's really important is to align yourself with the mother, to really build a relationship with her and, and the child, but understand what it's like for her. Assess the uh, violence that she's experiencing, the the tactics and strategies used by the perpetrator, but also um, really understand the experiences and how that's impacting on her as a parent. Mm -hmm. So it's really um, linking those factors to parenting capacity, yes. but not in a blaming way. It's more in a curious way. You're trying to understand what's happening in that family and what's happening for that child mm -hmm. and also for her. And the other part of that is understanding what is she doing to what or what is she put in place to protect the child because i think when we delve deeply is um, mothers will have already quite clear strategies to protect children so you know i know that some um, i've heard uh, they um, they know when the key is put in the door what the father is going to be like what mood he's going to be in um, and so when she picks up on that mood she will send the children to bed very early for example so that in her way the children are still home but that's a way that she finds that she could protect children um, or her children so it's understanding what's already occurring yes. for her, um, that she's protecting her children and building on that. Yes. Um, and also acknowledging how hard it yes. is because parenting when she herself is not safe is an extraordinary situation to be in. So we need to really align ourselves and also help her more and build the capacity that's already there and, and build the resilience. She's obviously, for someone to be in that situation and have put strategies in place is recognising there's quite an element of strength and resilience there. I think yeah. that's also a really important point <clears throat> that you picked up on, Camilla, about in balancing that fine line between inquiries of safety and potential blame, the sheer practice point of acknowledging the difficulties 
of parenting in a domestic and family violence context yeah. um, and what that does to a child, what that does to a, a woman and what that does to the relationships and making that visible, yeah. the difficulties and the complexities of it, that climate of fear might offer that kind of level of engagement with a mum that's not necessarily blaming. So you're, yeah. as a practitioner, acknowledging her survival, acknowledging yeah. what she's, um, how she's, you know, forming relationships with her children in that context. And just by naming the difficulties of that and her resilience in surviving it is maybe one way to move away from blame to now let's try and address this together and yeah. in partnership for her, but also for the for the yeah. child. And, and it's about building that safety yes. with her together. Because mm -hmm. we, um, we know that many women don't wish to leave the relationship. And if they choose to continue, then we need to increase the safety and really put a quite secure plan so that, you know, if there's situations when they, they may decide to leave mm -hmm. eventually, mm -hmm. but that needs to be their decision, yes. um, obviously, mm -hmm. The safety of the children is a, an important consideration, but it's about uh, really building that safe capacity that there is there, yeah. but never asking the woman to control yeah. what's happening for the, um, the violent behaviour of her partner, yeah. because she can't control, by virtue of the dynamics that's yeah. occurring, we can never put demand, you know, in a safety plan, we cannot say to her, you need to um, control his um, entrance into the house yep. or mm -hmm. stop him from having contact with the children yes. mm -hmm. because she doesn't have that power yeah. in that relationship. Mm -hmm. So even in safety planning, we need to engage the perpetrator in providing safety for the children in the first instance. And, and then, you know, when trust is built, then um, you can start having conversations about his behaviour towards um, the mother as well. Um, so I want to turn to that, um, Camilla, because we've been talking a lot about child-centred practice in terms of how we engage mum. Perhaps this uh, for workers is uh, maybe this is the more difficult, and that's how do you um, have child-centred conversations with dad or the perpetrator? Um, in working with domestic and family violence, we need to engage the mother and the father and the child. Like the whole family needs to be, the intervention needs to be directed at the whole family, mm -hmm. not at one member and not hold, holding the woman accountable. Mm -hmm. Talking to men about violence is, is really challenging. And there have been instances where I myself have felt quite threatened um, in terms of how a person, how a man has responded to me by asking questions. But I think it's about really challenging him in a gentle way. Mm. Um, obviously, once you get to know him, you need to firstly focus on him as a parent. Mm -hmm. Because if you're there as a child protection worker, then um, you need to be focusing on his um, impact of violence and how that's affecting children and bringing that presence of the child into the conversation all the time. Mm -hmm. For example, when um, he might use the word arguing, which is always minimising the situation, but okay, so when, um, when an argument is occurring, where is your son or daughter? Mm -hmm. How do you think the arguing's impacting on them? If there are issues at school, bring those issues in. Yes. And why, why is uh, your child exhibiting angry behaviour at school? How do you make sense of that? So again, it's always bringing the behaviour and linking it to what's observable, what's happening for that child and, and challenging them a little bit. 
and what needs to happen if your son is aggressive to children at school? What do you think needs to happen to address that aggressiveness and then bringing it back to his behaviour? So they're always critical conversations to have, but they need to be had. And I think um, we really need to develop a workforce that has the confidence and capability to do that. Mm. Yeah. So Camilla, also you talked about, you know, bringing, of course, children's experiences and behaviour into the conversation to engage him. Yeah. Um, before you also mentioned safety planning. So for um, mums, a safety plan could look quite different. Like you said, it's not about, you know, telling her what she needs to control or manage yeah. it's about the protection of her and her children yeah. do you have any thoughts about how you might engage um, a father in having conversations around safety and bringing that back to being child-centered so obviously we're talking about a uh, family that are living together because yes. mm. uh, I think they're the situations that people worry most about, mm. particularly if there's high-risk situations. So what I've done in the past is actually um, sat them both down together mm. and the focus of the discussion is about the safety of the child. So really not taking a blaming um, stance but really saying I'm here to make sure that um, your child is safe and, and laying out why we don't think, you know, what's going on to that's impacting on that child's lack of safety. And then what do you need to do or what do we need to do as a team to then make sure that your son or daughter is safe? So then that's, um, that becomes a joint agreement with the father. But just looking back, there's a particular family that really sticks in my mind is that they worked really hard, they were really committed to stay together. The young girl, she was about 12 at the time, but you know, we sat as, uh, I sat with the parents and we really worked together as a team. But the focus of the discussion was about her safety. So we made an agreement about, um, you know, his behaviour, what, you know, what he needed to do. And that was about not only um, understanding the dynamics or the times that were critical in that family, but he needed to engage with other services as well. So I think one of the things, because of the complexity, and um, we talked earlier about um, domestic and family violence requires a whole family approach. It also requires a multi-agency approach because it, it is complex and it requires someone uh, specialised to be working with the father. Um, we need to maintain our alliance with the mother and really support her resilience and strength and continued ability and strategies to protect her, her or daughter in this situation. But we also need to maintain um, a very close connection with the child. And I remember with this uh, young woman, I met her quite regularly. And I always met her when dad was out of the house or when he was at work. So she didn't feel threatened in that way. And for the very first few sessions, um, we sat for an hour each session and she just talked about what I thought were very superficial things. We talked about makeup and dresses and uh, her favourite movie stars and it was all very nothing to do with family. 
So, you know, I persisted. It was my role. And um, so that went on for about three sessions. And she made a really huge point at the end of saying, and I don't want you to tell mum anything that I've told you today. And I thought, well, that was really odd because she didn't tell me anything. Mm-hmm. Um, we just talked about um, girly things, if yeah. you like. Yeah. So um, that was fine. And then the fourth session, she said, okay, I know I can trust you now. Wow. And then went on to disclose quite significant abuse that was going on at home, the mm-hmm. violence. So for me, it wasn't, um, she was really testing me. Mm-hmm. She wanted to know whether she could trust me. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though we talked about seemingly superficial things, she wanted to know whether I was going back to her mum and telling her everything that we'd, we'd talked about. So that notion about being child-centred in that context of violence is really um, about persistence and really listening and developing that relationship Mm -hmm. because what happened the sessions after that we found that the level of violence was much more serious than we had anticipated Mm -hmm. yeah so I think what that example has demonstrated if we're moving back to um, picking up some of the practice principles around being child-centered is what you've drawn out Camilla is the importance of establishing a trusting relationship with the child Um, so investing that time and energy so bringing their lived experience into the room and bringing them as a valued individual into the room that then enabled you to um, talk to the child about when can I speak to mum um, building up that trust therefore you could create an alliance Camilla, uh, we're just wanting to ask, from your opinion, reflecting back in um, as a practitioner in uh, child protection, and of course domestic and family violence is an issue that's present in many families that you may have worked with. What do you think are some of the common barriers to being child-centred? Why might practitioners find it hard when dealing with domestic and family violence to be child-centred? I think one of the one of the first barriers is a little bit of a misunderstanding about the concept. So I think when people think child-centred, we're thinking just the child. But if we um, remember, if we use the knowledge around children's rights and child development, children can't thrive and flourish without relationships. They don't just hang without anyone around them. So um, when we think about child-centred practice, it's also about their family, the people who are close to them and other important relationships in their lives. And that's for some children, that might not be their biological parents. It may be their aunties, it may be uh, teachers. um, And we know in Aboriginal communities, um, we have a kinship system. So there may be some other family members that might be quite close. So relationships are absolutely critical to being child-centred. And I keep saying that to my students and I think they get really sick of me by the end of the (laughs) semester. Another significant barrier is the lack of knowledge. Um, I think we need to, as effective social workers, and to practice in a child-centred way, we do need to have an in-depth understanding of what children's rights are, what child development is, and I think child development is quite a complex concept. So we need to understand, and we also need to understand that the impact of domestic and family violence has a different impact depending on age and vulnerability of the child. So child development is really important as well. 
but lack of knowledge in this area not only impedes the discussions that we have with um, parents um, and carers, but it also impedes uh, the type of intervention that we might engage in. So um, knowledge is really important. I think um, another consideration is that people feel more comfortable talking to adults. Yes. Um, let's face it, you know, we're <laughs> adults and we feel much more comfortable. So sometimes engaging with children is not something that comes as um, uh, second nature to us. So it's something that we need to ensure that social workers, um, whether it's in the organisation or whether through our training, is that they interact with children. They learn to interact. So if you're working with a three-year-old, um, obviously that's going to be different to how you would work with a 15-year-old. Um, so it's knowing, again, that development, knowledge about child development comes into that. And I think the other common barrier is, um, is time. People yes. say they don't have time um, because the workload issues and engaging with children is something that slips off um, their workload or you know, their tasks or um, what they need to do very quickly. Um, and I think we, that's something that comes through in many reviews and many inquiries is that um, engagement with children is um, something that needs we need to be doing more of. But I think um, we need to be thinking about developing systems or institutions where we start with the child, okay. not with the system. Mm -hmm. And I think in doing that, it's a different way of thinking, but I think we, we need to start with the voices of children. And, and I think then we can be really truly child-centred. Yeah. So Camilla, just to like finish up, we would like you to reflect on your career and um, perhaps just give us a, a summary um, from being a child protection um, worker. For you, what has worked in successfully engaging with children? Okay, that's, that's a really big question. Um, and I think, uh, unfortunately, I don't have a cookbook recipe that I, that I can <laughs> offer because that would be great. I think it's about people finding their own style. Mm -hmm. But I also, um, one of the things that I had ma have made a commitment through my, throughout my career is um, engaging in professional development. So I feel comfortable um, working with children and understanding who they are and their development. So I have invested in education for that. But I think in understanding their development and just recognising them as individuals, you just shape your intervention to who they are, as, as you would as an adult. Mm, mm, mm. So um, whether it's sitting down with a child and in play, so if they're playing with toys, it's actually, you know, if they're a young child, we'll sit on the ground with a young child and really engage with them. For teenagers, I worked, you know, quite a, a few years with teenagers. I found um, taking them out um, for a coffee or for a meal, talking over food for some reason worked really well with teenagers. <laughs> so I think um, really it's it's getting to know them as people. They are, they are individuals like adults are. They have their own um, personality and it's, it's really investing that time to get to know them. Yeah. yeah. And I think um, 
that's a really lovely point um, to to kind of summarise in terms of being child-centred. And yep. when you value the experience and get to know a child or young person yep. um, and what they think and feel, then when you come across issues as complex as domestic and family violence, and we know the seriousness of that issue, once we know a child, can we truly learn the impact that that is actually yep. having on the child? And, and they will trust you once you've developed that relationship they will trust you and really tell you what's going on for them. And then, yeah. then safety and um, with the child and planning for the child becomes much more possible. Yeah. Mm. Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au to access a range of resources to assist your practice. Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health, led by Emerging Minds and delivered in partnership with the Australian Institute of Family Studies, the Australian National University, the Parenting Research Centre and the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. The National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme.